Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney, along with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney. And Eric, we are at episode 42, which is, of course, a very significant number in many ways in popular culture. Uh, it is most famously for sports fans, the number of baseball great Jackie Robinson, Hall mm-hmm. of Famer. One of the most beloved figures in sports. Uh, For fans of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, it is famously the answer, indeed the ultimate answer, to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. And it was the age at which a bloated, drug-filled Elvis Presley had a heart attack while on the toilet, causing him to topple over and die in a pool of his own vomit. Uh, I don't want to say which of those we're most likely to ultimately to emulate, but to all our listeners out there, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, and 42 is also my daughter's favorite number, and I think she arrived at that without having read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, really? I think somehow, randomly on her own, she decided 42 was her favorite number. So, uh, yeah, there's something special about that number, I guess. There you go. How about that? Um, but before we get any 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 further into the show, Kieran, uh, you know, sorry to do this on short notice, um, but I have to pull out of this podcast uh, just just as we were about to record a uh, a large ornament in the hotel lobby <laughs> fell over. Yeah, that's the ticket. A uh, <laughs> large <laughs> ornament fell over and uh, landed on my hand, breaking yeah. uh, breaking uh, the third note, the fourth note, the fifth metacarpal. Yeah, that's the yeah. ticket. Large yeah. ornament, yeah. hotel lobby, fifth <laughs> metacarpal. So. I can't podcast today. You're on your own. I have to get home to my wife, Morgan Fairchild. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no video. There's no, but that's a, but yeah, no, that's the story. Yeah, that'll do. <laughs> so, how many of our listeners do you think uh, get the reference from mid '80s SNL? Did that well, did that, did that character actually, carry sure over? Range, I'm not sure what our age range is, right? You know, of our listeners, but yeah, I mean, if basically given that most of our pop culture references are firmly in that period of time, right. anybody who is stuck with us through all of this probably knows what we're talking about i I would hope so but uh the 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 whole reason for me uh deciding to go that route is there's no way that all happened to carl frampton just just say the dog ate your homework and leave it at that nobody's buying this fantastical story i know i know everybody knows that what happened was a team of underpants gnomes ran into the lobby of the hotel attacked him with an axe and ran away again Is that a reference that I should be getting, but I'm not, or a Kieran Mulvaney well, original? Well, I just made a underpants gnomes is a South Park thing, but oh, okay. they have nothing to do with axes. I'm just throwing together a wide variety of nightmarish scenarios. Right. Okay. I live alone, Eric. <laughs> as as you've mentioned a time or two. Yes. Yes, indeed. Anyway, look, as you can probably tell from our outrageous banter it has been another slow august week in terms of fights to review and preview uh but it has been a busy week of news outside the ring and you've probably got an idea of one of the subjects we're going to talk about as we cover all of that later on the podcast but we are going to start this week with something a little different um back in the hbo podcast days uh we did a few fantasy draft or snake draft episodes where eric and i assembled teams of fights or fighters going back and forth uh and we've Got one for this Showtime Boxing Podcast as well. A fairly fun theme, I think, picked out. It's what we call our Rising Star Fantasy Draft. Uh, We thought about calling it a Prospect Draft, but some of the fighters we are going to be considering here are are beyond, indeed quite beyond the Prospect stage. So here are the parameters we figured. Eric and I are acting as if we're each promoters, 
but without the money and possibly with some ethics. And <laughs> we're going to assemble the stable of fighters that we want for the next decade or so. And we decided that any active professional boxer under the age of 25 is eligible to be drafted. So we are recording this on August 11th, 2019, um, just five days short of the anniversary of Elvis Presley falling off the toilet and dying in a pool of his own vomit, incidentally. Way to um, tie it back in there. Nicely done. Right? Look at that. Yeah, <laughs> we don't just throw this show together. Uh, so as long as the fighter hasn't turned 25, as of August 11th, that fighter can be drafted. Yeah, and, and the draft uh, will be six rounds long. Uh, so we'll each end up with uh, six fighters in our stables. Someone will get the first selection. The other person will get the next two, then back and forth, two picks in a row, until 12 fighters have been drafted. Uh, and we don't even know yet who has the first pick. We are going to do a live coin flip to determine it, uh, Kieran and I uh, normally do not use a video element as we do these calls, but we're going to turn on video here just uh, for verification purposes. So I'm uh, clicking the um, video on button on my side, and I uh, hope I, you're doing the same. As I, this is venturing into exciting new territory here. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. You know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a low bar for what qualifies as exciting, I suppose. But I can see you. You can see me. You have a coin. Uh, so you, I see right the here. coin. Yes, it has a head a, side and a tail side. a tail side. It is a United States of America, 25 cent piece. All right. And I guess before you flip it, uh, yes, should it should it be that uh, whoever wins the coin flip just has the first pick or whoever wins the coin flip gets, gets to decide? Choice. Gets the choice of whether they points. want the first pick. Okay, that's 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 a, that's a good uh, that's a good approach. Eric, so, I'm, as I am tossing the uh, proverbial coin, you get to call what you want. Okay, that's what I will do. As when I when I when the coin is in the air, so exciting. Here we go. Heads. He caught it. He's showing it to me, and it is that looks like a tails. It is indeed tails. Mm, all right, so your choice. And now let's turn off video so we don't have to look at each oh, other. Oh gosh, yeah, that's. Yeah, that's <laughs> People, I can't imagine how that sounds for people listening at home, but there you go. I can't often imagine how most of these episodes sound for people listening at home. So, Eric, why don't you pick first? I had a feeling you might do that, because if I had won the coin toss, I might have made you pick first. All right, uh, here we go. First pick in the Rising Star draft. Um, I am going to go with someone who... Maybe shouldn't really be the first pick, but I don't want to risk not getting him with you having the next two picks. Uh, so here we go. I am going to take heavyweight Daniel Dubois. Ah, oh, <laughs> yes. I love hearing you say ah. Oh. That means I've succeeded in whether I made a good pick or not. I at least took a pick you wanted. <laughs> so um, he's not the most sure thing on here. There's a bit of a risk to take him this early. Uh, but I, I just, you know, don't want to risk him not being around a couple picks from now. And it sounds like that would have been the case. To have a heavyweight who has the look, seems to have the talent, and can potentially be a long-reigning heavyweight champion and or make gigantic fights in a few years with the likes of Wilder, Joshua, Fury, etc. Nobody else in boxing under 25 can compare with his upside. And he's not just under 25, he's 21. Uh, so, you know, there's all sorts of potential for him to be a total bust. I realize that he, he's not proven one punch can change everything for a heavyweight. He's probably still a couple of years away from major fights, but I don't see another fighter under 25 with as much potential to earn paydays in the tens of millions. So I am taking Daniel Dubois. Yeah, I wouldn't have picked him, I think, in my first two, um, 
But he was in my top five to go. Okay. Um, for, and I, I moved him up partly because I figured at some point around then you were going to take him. So I wasn't ready for you. No, I completely agree. There's just something about him. You can't tell. Where you know, well, you can't tell with a lot of these fighters who I suspect we're going to end up picking, but he does look like he's the goods, and he is one of those guys who approaches heavyweight boxing the way you want heavyweights to approach boxing, which it looks like he goes in there basically and tries to take your head off. So, um, a definite high upside there for Daniel Dubois. All right, okay, so now I you have, have your next first pick, two. right? And these are, I suspect, a couple of guys who one might expect to go early on in a young fighters uh rising star draft and i am gonna pick first of all teofimo lopez um one of the guys on this list who won't need much introduction uh only recently turned 22 135 pounds 14 and 0 with 11 frequently spectacular ko's tremendous talent he was forced to work hard last time out and i think that's actually going to have done him some good um because it will have reminded him and those around him, that he is still a work in progress. Um, and although he is a talent, he still needs a little experience. And as we discussed when we talked about that fight, that'll probably also be good for him because it may just put the brakes on the notion of a, a, a rapid match with Vasily Lomachenko, with whom he's in the same weight class. Um, I think if he can avoid having to take on that task too early, there is an abundance of available opposition for him. Uh, a lot of room for him to grow. And of course, a tremendous self-promoter. So Tiafimo Lopez first off the board for me. Okay. Um it's a good pick. I'm I'm not going to like, you know, mock you like, oh my god, how could you take him that early? But uh I would not have taken him this early if we'd done this a month ago. Uh before his last fight, he most certainly would have been in my top three. But, you know, he did struggle a lot in that fight. You know, I don't think that this is likely, um, that that he's going to turn out to be like the next Panchito Bajado or something and, and just flame out. Um, you know, the, the, this could have just been one bad style matchup and all that. And he still did certainly win the fight. Um, but you have to wonder, could this be the kind of fighter who hits every fastball over the plate, but can't hit the curve? Uh, and mm-hmm. yes, I just watched Major League with my son last night. So that's <laughs> that's why that analogy was in my mind. So I'm still very high on Lopez. Um, I still would guess he will end up on pound for pound top 10 list in a few years. But I wouldn't personally have used a top five pick on him at the moment. But maybe that's me overreacting to one bad performance. But there you go. Either way, aces by me. And either way, so I think I think there's so much talent at the top of this list that, well, whoever I pick out of the next few I, I'm looking at, I'm going to leave you with a couple of really good ones in the next round. I'm going to be a bit of a homer here. Not as in dope, but, <laughs> but I'm going to pick a Showtime fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a guy who at age 24... Already has bags of top-level experience, has been a headliner for a couple years, has speed, has power, and already has an appearance on the Showtime Boxing Podcast. And also, importantly, he appears to have gone through his immaturity phase. I'm talking, of course, about Gervonta Tank Davis. Um, There was that phase early on where the knock on Davis was he looked like maybe he was not as focused as he could have been, maybe not as attentive to his conditioning as he could have been. It's starting to feel as if that narrative is getting a little played. He feels like he's had that blip, that at 24, he has the maturity that he didn't have at 22. 
Um, weight may nonetheless prove to be a limiting feature for him in that he is a big and solid guy, but he's not especially tall. Um, so inevitably, when he, he will move up to 135, uh, you know, he's going to have to navigate significantly taller boxes. But I think he has the skill to do it. Um, and political machinations aside, there are plenty of opponents for him at 130 and 135 for him to face. He needs to have that opportunity to face that big opponent soon, as we've discussed recently. He's in danger of getting stuck in a rut, of blowing away um, guys who are just not on his level. But I have a feeling Tank's going to be able to step it up, and I think he's going to sell himself very well as well. I, I think there's I think there's a good upside for Javante Tank Davis. All right, now this is a pick that, that hurts me in a way that Teofimo Lopez did not, because Javante okay. Davis was next on my draft board. He was okay. uh, he, he was the other guy I was considering with the top overall pick. Um, so, you know, I, if I want to be a little negative on it, I would just say that you can be a little nervous about him staying out of trouble outside the ring. Like you said, yep. he seems to have turned a corner, but you never know for sure. But he seems both a high ceiling and a high floor uh, kind of kind of yeah. fighter to have in your stable. So, uh, you know, Floyd Mayweather behind him, uh, he already draws well and rates well uh, you know, as a fighter. So, um, yeah, good pick there. Really not a lot of holes to poke in that one. Okay. All right. So I get the next two. And, uh, yeah, you noted there are a whole bunch of kind of almost interchangeable uh, top prospect on the verge of contendership level sort of guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna take two of them here, but I'll, I'll go one at a time so you can respond to each. Uh, first one up, he just fought this weekend. 21 year old welterweight, 14 and 0, 14 knockouts. Virgil Ortiz. You know, I, I there are three other guys on my draft board who are really close with Ortiz in terms of talent level and experience level. One of them is Teofimo Lopez. The others haven't come up yet, um, but. I prefer Ortiz out of that bunch because of his weight class. There are always huge fights to be made at welterweight. Um, and as he stepped up in class, he stepped up his performance quality. This might just be a future top five pound for pound kind of guy. I, I certainly don't see him as the kind of prospect who could potentially lose to a gatekeeper on the way up. Yeah. I think at the very worst, he'll get to the big fights. And then there's money to be made. Even if he loses, you'll make good money against Errol Spence or Terrence Crawford, whoever else emerges as an elite welterweight over the next decade or so. So I am taking Virgil Ortiz off the board. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He would have very much. He was very much at the top of my draft board as well. One of those guys who like looking at two or three of them and it was always going to be a game time decision and as to who was going to get picked. And uh, I was impressed with his performance on Saturday night. And we'll talk about that a bit later on. It looks to me as if, you know, with perhaps a little bit less hype, at the beginning than some of the other guys who we've talked about and probably will still talk about. It feels as if, nonetheless, he's sort of making, in many respects, some of the more solid progress out of, out of some of these guys and taking on some, some of the more solid veterans already. So, yeah, very good choice. Okay. Uh, and my next one uh, falls under a, a similar vein, similar age, similar point in his progression, and the youngest fighter on my draft board. At age 20, I am taking Devin Haney, lightweight, 22-0, 14 knockouts. Uh, the talent is so obvious with him. The the speed and slickness combined with decent power, it just jumps out at you. Uh, if he was a welterweight, I might have taken him before Virgil Ortiz. Now, I realize it doesn't really matter since I had two picks sure. in a row here. Um, but I, I, I do rate Ortiz over him mostly because of the weight class. Um, Haney's another one that I 
be shocked if he lost before fighting one of the top two or three guys in his division. And there's no rush at all with him. Um, but at the same time, he seems just about ready for the best at lightweight. Maybe this is the guy to bump off Vasily Lomachenko in two years or so if nobody else does it first. And he'll grow and fill out, so he should be a welterweight uh, at some point, tangling with the Ortizes and the Spences and the Crawfords, you know, if they're still there when he gets there. Haney is close to a can't-miss guy. I was thinking about worst-case scenario. I think having a Danny Garcia-level career is probably right. just about the worst-case scenario for him. I don't know if that qualifies as, as a hot take of, of some sort. Feels a little hot takey, maybe. But uh, to me, I, I can't see him coming in any lower than that. I think uh, Devin Haney is pretty darn blue chip. You know, very interesting. Devin Haney was a guy who I had a really hard time figuring where I was going to put him on my board. I was moving him all over the place. And, and part of it was... That very consideration. It's like, is he going to be the B++ kind of Danny Garcia type or is he going to go up another level? And I think, you know, even through his showbox appearances, I thought it looks like he's really good, maybe very, very good. But does he have the potential to break through? And then there were two things that really when I was thinking about this. You know, I think that he probably does. Um, his last performance, I mean, he looked absolutely sensational against Anthony Moran. And then there's what you talked about. He is only 20 years old. He does have a lot of growth opportunity. Um, I, he was a guy who, as I looked at everybody else, I kind of bumped down a little bit. But yeah, I agree with you that he has one of the higher floors of the guys we're likely mm -hmm. to talk about here, uh, even though I'm not quite sure where his ceiling is. Okay. All right, so my turn to take another couple, and I am going to go with Shakur Stevenson. I was about to say, well, I was, didn't want to say because I didn't want to spoil anything, but in my mind, I was thinking, I think he's going to take Shakur Stevenson next. I yeah. am going to take Shakur <laughs> Stevenson. 12 and 0, 7 KOs. Um, what a talent, really. Speed and skills, um, plenty of potential opposition around his featherweight weight class as well uh, a little bit like javante uh needs to watch some of his out of the ring behavior that is again the sort of potential black mark against him um but otherwise it feels to me as if the sky could be the limit for this kid uh only just turned 22 uh timothy bradley um, commentating um, ringside during his last win, reckoned he could beat any featherweight in the world right now. And our buddy Gary Russell Jr. takes issue with that. Uh, I suspect Carl Frampton takes issue with that. Uh, Oscar Valdez takes issue with that. Uh, Josh Warrington will take issue with that. The point is there are plenty of people for him to test himself up against. Uh, great opportunities uh, if all the politics uh, manage to align for him to prove just how good he is as he improves. And he's, he's surely got to be ready for that step up in class, if not this year, then surely in 2020. So, yeah, he's part of four fighters that I kind of grouped together and the other three have all have all been drafted that I basically looked at Virgil Ortiz and Devin Haney, who I have on my roster and Teofimo Lopez and Shakur Stevenson, who you have on your roster as really being, you know, flip a coin between any of those guys that to, in terms of what order to put those four in. They're all 20 to 22 years old with elite talent. Uh, the only reason that I personally ranked Stevenson last out of those is just that he's the smallest and might have the hardest mm. time making huge money and, and <laughs> has a style that's maybe a little more efficient than spectacular. Um, right. So I'm not sure how big of a superstar he's going to become, but I do think just in terms of pound for pound potential, he's right up there with any of those guys. Yeah.
And now the other guy, and I was thinking, I'm not sure how likely you are to pick him, but I just, in the same way that you wanted to get Dubois away from me, I want to make absolutely sure that I have this guy. And it's Murajan Akhmedaliev. Mm. Um, I love this guy. Uh, 24 years old, turns 25 in November, 6-0, fighting for an alphabet belt in the 122-pound division next month against a very good fighter, Danny Roman. Um, if he overcomes Roman, which is no easy task at all, then he looks like you know he's the kind of guy who could be a real linchpin of a youthful stable. Uh, tremendous fighting style, has boxing skills, partly as a result of winning 300 of 315 amateur bouts. Um, he can brawl in close. Uh, he has a great trainer in Joel Diaz. Um, he's from Uzbekistan. He feels like he's really, really the package. I'm super, super high on this kid. He may fall flat against Roman because it's a huge step up, but it says a lot for a guy who's six and zero oh and 24 years old to even be in contention. And uh, I just wanted to make sure that I got him. Yeah, you know, it's a good pick, and I must uh, shamefully admit, I forgot all about him when I was gathering my list of, uh, of fighters to consider. Um, I, I The name just totally slipped my mind, uh, but he is, you know, a, a really talented guy. Um, strong pick, but, uh, but was not on my draft board, not because he didn't deserve to be, just because I kind of screwed up. Um, but I, I think you would have gotten him, even if I'd thought of him, I don't know if I would have had him quite this high, so you probably would have gotten him anyway. And I have to say, at this point in the draft, you are crushing me in terms of quality of first names. You have a Teofimo, a Gervonta, a Shakur, and a Murajan. I have Daniel, Virgil, and, uh, and Devin. Really boring first names on right. my side. Right. That's the tiebreaker. <laughs> if you can't decide who's, who has the best roster there. All right, you're up again. I am, and I am going to do something a little different here. Uh, I'm going to draft a female fighter. Oh, curveball. Very good. <laughs> Did that even cross your mind as no, you were preparing? I'm no. shamefully, no, no. Okay. You're just not as woke as I am, Karen. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so there, there's hesitance to draft a female fighter in this sort of thing because you don't know what the potential earnings are. Uh, you don't know if huge fights will be there. Um, but nevertheless, I am taking 24-year-old Clarissa Shields. Uh, and now part of the problem is she might have already beaten in Christina Hammer, the best opponent she'll be able to find for a while. So, so that's a worry. Um, but she has so much else going for her. She's so marketable. She's crossing over in ways most male fighters can't in terms of how she's developing a mainstream name and getting a lot of attention. Uh, we both say she's the quote already. Yeah. And whether people agree or not, it's great as a marketing hook to use to be able to tell people, hey, the greatest of all time in this particular sport is in action. Um, again, I don't know if a multi-million dollar payday is ever in her future. I think it probably is, but I can't say that for certain. But she's at least a big name, world-class fighter already to put in my stable. And she's almost a sure thing to stay at this level for at least the next five years and probably beyond. So I am taking Clarissa Shields. Outstandingly good choice. I am, especially as I had, you know, spent plenty of time with her uh, over her last couple of fights, embarrassed that I didn't even think about it. Um, she would probably be upset that she wasn't the first off the board. That's how confident <laughs> yeah. she is in herself. And I think in addition to the fact that, you know, notwithstanding, as you said, she may have fought her best opponent, I don't think that matters. She is such an outstandingly good self-promoter. Mm -hmm. um, 
and, and getting better and better and seems to be improving in the ring. Uh, I just think that by itself, sometimes being even the dominant force can be a selling point in itself. I think that's an outstandingly good choice. Yes, Thank well you. done. Thanks. And also is, is better in the whole first name thing. Clarice is Clarice is a pretty good name. Yeah, really. it's, it's not bad. And I get a Showtime fighter in my stable, which is important for me yes. to keep my job and whatnot. So. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I have the next pick uh, here, and I guess I just have two more picks total. So I have to start thinking about uh, who I'm going to be missing out on if I don't take them here uh all right i'm gonna go with 22 year old super middleweight 21 and 0 18 knockouts david benavidez yep. um now this is a guy that I, I forgot about on my first pass through the list of contenders for this draft and then when i dug deeper on research not deep enough to come up with akhmedaliev apparently um but uh when i did my sort of my second pass through i was like oh yeah david benavidez he, he just hasn't been top of mind lately um, and he's in a, a somewhat off-the-beaten-path weight class at super middleweight. But that KO2 over J. Leon Love yep. in March, that's impossible to ignore. That was a statement win. Benavidez has that freakish length. He can fight inside or out. He has power. He has the Hispanic fan base in the Southwest. I think there's a lot of upside here. Um, you know, Is there a chance he would come up short against a Callum Smith? Maybe. Um, but he's also only 22 he should be able to keep getting better and refining and polishing. And, hey, maybe we're talking about a future Canelo opponent here, which is a nice eight-figure payday uh, for one of the fighters on my roster. So I am happy to take David Benavides. Yeah, there's quite a few folks down at this this part of the board where I sort of would be moving them interchangeably. Uh, Benavides is definitely in my top ten. Um, and like you said, he, he dropped out of consideration, I think, or out of mind, uh, which was his own fault. Um you know, for he got popped for cocaine, he had these mm -hmm. management issues and so forth. But it looks like sometimes it's okay if if you've got these young guys, if they get that out of their system early. <laughs> and, and you know, and now he's back with his dad. Um, he's back with his original promoter. Uh, like you said, there's there's some possible kind of interesting matchups uh, down there, uh, down the road for him too. And, and yeah, that performance against Jay Leon Love, I mean, he's just the way he's able to keep his opponent at range, but also fight inside. Yeah. Good solid pick. Okay. You're up. So it's at the state where I'm looking, I think as, as you were saying, there's quite a few possibilities here. Who am I more comfortable leaving? Uh, who do I absolutely want to pick? So I think, I am going to take Ryan Garcia. Yeah. Um, Garcia only just turned 21. He's kind of—he's the definition of a high ceiling blue chipper. He's been groomed for the top by Golden Boy from the very beginning. Uh, he looks the part. Clearly has skills and talent galore. When you're 19 years old and knocking out. Uh, a solid veteran like Jason Velez, as he did last May. You, you're very good. I, 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 the only hint of concern, I think, comes out of the fact that of late, there's been a lot of drams around him, as the kids say, uh, maybe. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you threw that maybe in there, because I've never heard that one. But... <laughs> really? And you actually have kids. So it's yeah. probably what the kids said in 1996. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so he is having a bit of beef with Golden Boy, although he's not the only one in that stable who's doing that. Um there have been a few, some management squabbles uh, already. Maybe the entourage is a bit big around him. It could be the sign of trouble brewing, or it could just be a young kid sorting things out so that he has them where he wants them 
how he wants them from an early age. I mean, Canelo did much the same thing. People thought he was a bit arrogant, um, but Ass worked out all right for him. I'm not saying Ryan Garcia is going to be that good, but he has the feel of somebody who, if he keeps his head in the game, and I think the danger is that he, he maybe starts taking things a little bit for granted, but he does appear to have the real skill and talent to, to be a, a, a top-line fighter. So Ryan Garcia. All right, you can have him. Uh, he, cer- he certainly crossed my mind, but... Not uh, doing it for you? Yeah, not he was He was not... I mean, look, he was pretty close to consideration for this draft. I'm not saying he was way off my board, but he was He was outside my my top 12 Was were the only ones that I really jotted down notes on, because obviously I wasn't going to need right. to reach beyond, beyond my top 12. He was just outside that. Um, I just don't quite see the special level talent. He looks to me like a guy who very marketable, very popular already, building a big name for himself impressively. Um, but I'm not sure he's going all the way. Uh, he might, he might, but I, I, I wouldn't have taken him here. So you can ask him. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. I've got him anyway. <laughs> yes. Um, and then I think my final choice is going to be Mario Barrios. Um, mm. 24-year-old Mexican-American welterweight. Sounds like he wasn't very... But that mm, doesn't sound like... It's different from... Dope! So I'm guessing that probably wasn't <laughs> going to be a pick. It, um, it, it wasn't, but he's a good he's a good pick. It's not a... Yep. Uh, it, but he was not one of the ones I was considering taking with my okay. last pick. 24-0, uh, 16 KOs. And he actually looks like he's getting more powerful and more concursive as he moves up the ranks. We've seen him twice on TV this year, once on Showtime or once on Fox. Uh, and both times he scored very impressive stoppage wins on Showtime. He bludgeoned again Richard Camorra repeatedly until uh, Ray Corona stopped him to halt the contest in the fourth. And he stopped and he dropped Juan Velasco with a lightning fast right hand to the body in the second round of their fight. Um, only eight of his first 16 ended inside the distance. His last eight have. Uh, it just feels like this kid is who's an exciting boxer puncher is really getting it all together already has had some very good exposure. Um, looks like he's primed to maybe make the next step. Okay. Yeah. Good, good pick there. But like I said, not quite in my under consideration for my, my top 12, but certainly a, a talented up and coming fighter, another guy who's been performing on Showtime. So you, you're certainly uh, doing a good job uh, putting, putting some Showtime fighters on your roster. Um, so I guess before I make my final pick, uh, I, I get the opportunity to run down quickly the names of everyone I'm not picking uh, okay. who, who I thought about um, since mm-hmm. I'm not, no longer potentially giving away anyone for you to pick. So I know who I'm picking. So I'm going to tell you first, just quickly, I am not picking, but considered uh, Luis Neri, uh, bantamweight, mm. 24 years old, uh, a very advanced fighter for this sort of thing, but still under 25. I thought about him. Jerron Boots Ennis, the Philly welterweight who's been on Showbox and looked impressive. Um, someone who definitely would have uh, gotten drafted if we'd done this a year ago, Jaime Munguia. Yep. Um, but uh, stock has fallen a little bit, so he doesn't quite make the cut. Uh, Ruben Villa, uh, worth considering. Mm-hmm. Um, Emmanuel Navarrete, 24. Yep. Um, and I was very disappointed to learn that Thomas Patrick Ward, who I'm in love with, is 25. Oh, yes. <laughs> 25, so not quite eligible for the draft. Um, so that leaves me with the person I am taking for my final pick, the only fighter in this who has a loss on his record, Erickson Lubin. Uh, 23 years old, 21 and one with 16 knockouts. Um, you know, it's risky. He might have a bad chin. There, there were rumors to that effect. Uh, and then he, uh, got stopped in one round by Jermel Charlo and those seem to confirm the rumors. Um, but he also might've just gotten drilled by a great punch from a very unusual yeah. angle, uh, against Charlo. And, uh, maybe that's something that's not likely to repeat. I'm willing to gamble on his talent. He looked good in scoring three comeback KOs so far. He's only 23. 
And if all else fails, he can perfectly predict the results of fights that he's not exactly. involved in. And it's good to have someone like that in your stable. Like, you know, if I want someone to tell me what will happen if I match my guy Daniel Dubois against Deontay Wilder, Lubin is there to say, oh, no, 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 Wilder will, will knock him out. Now I know that, and I can safely match Dubois against someone else. He really brings a lot of added value <laughs> to go. the table. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that I thought he was... Because he's relatively far advanced, mm-hmm. I, I didn't even double check on his age there. Um, very good. No, that's, he slipped me by. That's a really good uh, good call. And in amongst a, an exciting division with some really big potential matchups, including some rematch possibilities for him. So, yeah, very good call. And that really pulls you much closer on the first name. Um, <laughs> good point. Oh, so. Good point. After I pulled a, a very boring David prior to that, I bounced right. back with an Erickson. Um, right. So, uh, all right. So let's just run down the rosters real quick here. Uh, Team Raskin consists of Daniel Dubois, Virgil Ortiz, Devin Haney, Clarissa Shields, David Benavidez, Erickson Lubin. Team Mulvaney is Teofimo Lopez, Javante Davis, Shakur Stevenson, Murajan Akhmadaliev, Ryan Garcia, and Mario Barrios. Interesting. We'll Both come pretty back good and, rosters. We'll, we'll come back in 10 years and see how it went. There's a, <laughs> there's a couple of other names as well. I also, okay. like yourself, I thought about Mungia, but I kept the same, same issue as you brought up. Uh, you know, would have been higher a while back. I very nearly picked Navarrete. Um, really strongly considered him. Uh, and then there's a couple of others who I didn't, I just threw on the list. But we're never really in very grave danger of being picked. Um, there's a couple who um, it's way too early to tell how good they're going to be. But sometimes, you know, if you're putting together a stable, you you want to you think, well, this kid may be a bust, but his upside could be huge. Edgar Belanga, 12 and 0, 12 yep. KOs, 12 first round KOs, and Puerto Rican, which is never a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, if we'd seen more of him, I've uh, I've seen very little of him, but I loved him, and I know you did, Xavier Martinez. Mm-hmm. Um, who was on Showbox. Uh, and I also put on there, I don't know if they're quite reaching the level that some had hoped, but uh, light heavyweight slash super middleweight Anthony Sims Jr. And uh, Lamont Roach Jr., mm-hmm. uh, a, super, a super feather, who is solid, but I'm not sure that the upside is really there. Right. But yeah, those a couple of those names were ones that also uh, sort of passed through my brain as we were doing this fun exercise. Uh, my team is better yep. than yours, but you did okay. It's too. just no, it isn't. Uh, but yours, <laughs> but but you know, you get extra points for Clarissa. I gotta be honest. <laughs> All right, good. I'll take I'll take those extra points and not worry about the rest of it. Um, <laughs> so uh, in the course of that, uh, I drafted Virgil Ortiz Jr. Uh, so let's use him to pivot into a conversation about this past weekend's rather limited fight schedule. The biggest fight of the weekend was Ortiz stepping up and stopping solid gatekeeper slash fringe contender type Antonio Orozco in six rounds. Orozco had some moments and and made the 21-year-old prospect work for it, but uh, Ortiz broke through in the sixth and dropped Orozco three times and frankly, looked better beating him than did Jose Ramirez, the only yeah. other fighter to defeat Orozco, and we're all quite high on Jose Ramirez. So uh, anything else to say about this particular performance that we didn't already hit upon during the, the fantasy draft there, or, or any thoughts on who you might like to see Ortiz face next? You know, I was really impressed with the intensity with which he fought, and the fact that he was able to maintain that intensity without losing his technique all the way through. I mean, he, he came out of the blocks, and he looked as if he could even get Orozco out of there early, like bundling him down to the ropes there and almost putting him down. But, you know, but when Orozco hung in there and, and even started to come back at him, 
he still stayed in there. He still maintained his focus and maintained his form. And even after Orozco like, had a decent-ish round in the fifth, uh, he then went and stepped it right up. And then once he had his guy badly hurt, he, he just zeroed in on the finish. I, I think that's, that's just what you want a guy at that level to do, to, to have to deal with a little bit of a guy coming back at him and not going away and then still finding a way to put him away, especially uh, somebody like Orozco who hadn't been stopped before. And I also like the fact that his attitude afterwards, he wasn't getting carried away. He was critical of himself. He said mm-hmm. he was still a way short of a world title and he promised to keep on working. I mean, really, it's, it, it's really he, he ticked all the boxes of everything you want a young guy in that position to do. Um, as for who next? In a strange way, Sanders are in a slightly difficult position, and I think he showed he's probably already a bit too good for sort of the, the very lower echelons of the, of the top 10 in that division. But at the same time, the very top guys at 140, if he's staying at 140, are very, very good. So I was thinking, um, you know, if they're makeable, fights against sort of, say, the semi-finalists of the World Boxing Super Series, like a Kira Relic or an even Red Cat, hmm, somebody like sure. that, right? Good, experienced, strong pros who'll test him some more, you know, really push him a little bit and really enable him to get more of that kind of experience against guys who are really going to make him work hard and probably have to go to a plan B or C. And then when he's through with those, then he'll probably be ready for an opportunity against the Ramirez or a Hooker or a Taylor or a Progress, somebody like that. Right. Um, so opposite that Ortiz Orozco card on one streaming service, The Zone, there was a card on another streaming service, ESPN from Philadelphia. And before we talk about the fights that took place, uh, we should quickly touch on the one that we hinted about earlier that didn't um carl frampton was scheduled to face emmanuel dominguez in the main event atop that card but as we've already pointed out on monday last week he was reportedly in a hotel lobby his hand happening to rest on a marble table when a large ornamental pillar was pushed over and landed on his hand yeah um, that's the ticket yes there has been plenty of skepticism about this reported sequence of events i think probably the greatest argument in favor of this actually being the explanation of of this happening is who who's going to actually make up that explanation (laughs) i think that's the best thing in its favor it's uh yeah so um anyway if true it joins the pantheon of such great sports injuries as um adam eaton cutting his finger while opening a dvd case uh pitcher (laughs) tom glavin breaking a rib while throwing up after eating an in-flight meal uh norwegian soccer player svein grondalen running into a moose while jogging or <laughs> I did not hear that one ever. Wow. <laughs> or my personal favorite, outfielder Glenn Allen Hill suffering cuts after walking into a glass table while sleepwalking during a nightmare about spiders. That is still the number one to me. <laughs> That's another one that it's it's so specific that it's, exactly. it almost couldn't be fake or he's just getting a little too specific with his fake story. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, so with Frampton out, that left the plan co-feature Jason Sosa against Liddell Rose as the main event. And Sosa dished out a beating, stopping Rhodes in the seventh round. Uh, any takeaways or thoughts on where Sosa, who's been around and near the top for a few years now, fits into the 130-pound picture? Yeah, this was a nice reminder fight from Sosa. This was yeah. that, hey, remember me? You know, I, yeah. I lost to Lomachenko, and then I had the close loss to Gamboa, and you probably figured I was done and forgot about me. Well, here I am. I'm still a solid contender. I don't belong anywhere near a Lomachenko, but otherwise, I can compete with almost anyone. That that was the statement he made here, uh, reminding us uh, what he can do. He's either the best club fighter in the 130-pound division or 
one of the worst serious world-class contenders in the 130-pound division. He's kind of, he's kind of right on that line. He's, he's too good for the club fighters. He's not really elite, but I like watching him fight. Um, I'm glad he got this opportunity to headline in Philly, and he looked good. Um, and in terms of, you know, a, a possible opponent for him that would be interesting, I don't think this would go too well for Sosa in the end, but... Sosa versus Tevin Farmer is a really good Philly fight that I bet could sell a lot of tickets in Philly. Nice, nice. Um, Now, surprisingly, the most discussion-worthy result of the weekend came in a four-rounder on that Philly show. Uh, Two-time Olympic gold medalist Robesi Ramirez made his long-awaited, much-hyped pro debut against standard pro debut fare, 4-2-2 Adan Gonzalez. And Gonzalez scored a flash knockdown in the first round and rode that to a split decision that should have been unanimous. Uh, I only gave Ramirez one of the remaining three rounds, Mm -hmm. and you'd need to give him all three, as one judge did, to score the fight in his favor. I had no opinion on Ramirez before this, hadn't really seen him. My expectations which were high, were all based on the hype that I'd heard and read. That said, just having heard and read about him, this was fairly shocking uh, to to see this go down. Kieran, if not for Ruiz KO7 Joshua, might a four-rounder be the leading upset of the year (laughs) candidate right now? Yeah, conceivably. Look, I was in the same position as you. I, I was just going on what I'd read, um, you know, the, the background stories, uh, you know, and as you mentioned, the fact that guy had won two Olympic gold medals. I mean, when you think about that, you know, it beat the likes of, of Shakur Stevenson, I think, in the unpaid ranks. Um, then you, the effort he went to to defect from Cuba for the United States. I mean, what was a shock was not just losing his pro debut against a hand-picked journeyman. Mm-hmm. Um, favorite tweet, by the way, of all of that was Carl Moretti's, uh-oh, <laughs> in the first round. Um but it wasn't just that he lost, but, he, but the way he did, like after all of that, after everything he went through to get here and to get into that position, he seemed really diffident in there, didn't he? He, he yeah. seemed like he was unprepared mentally and tactically. It's almost like he showed up thinking, oh, okay, obviously I'm going to win this first fight. Right. Like it's been set up for me and he d- didn't have to do anything. And and in the immediate aftermath, he, he even tried to claim that, you know, he'd won the fight, but then he acknowledged that actually, you know, he did poorly and needs to do better next time. Um Still, on the bright side, Bernard Hopkins, Henry Armstrong, Rafael Marquez all lost their pro, pro debuts, and they all did aight. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. Uh, although, I just can't remember the last time a prospect this highly regarded no, lost no, his pro debut. Not. I was thinking about it. Pete Rademacher, maybe? Uh, right. The guy who turned pro by challenging for the heavyweight title against Floyd Patterson. Uh, I would say those were some extenuating circumstances, um, but you might have to go back that far to find a prospect uh, who was this well-regarded who lost his first time out. So, yeah. um, In terms of fights this upcoming weekend for us to preview, there isn't much at all. Uh, Tim Zhu fights midweek in Australia. Johnny Gonzalez fights off TV in Mexico. The only televised card is Saturday on ESPN from Los Angeles. Super bantamweight Emmanuel Navarrete, who we mentioned uh, during our also-rans for the prospect draft. Or sorry, not the prospect draft, the rising star draft. There yeah, go. there we go. Yep. Uh, he's coming off, the guy coming off two straight wins against Isaac Dogbay. He headlines against unbeaten Francisco Devaca. And on the undercard, Chris Van Eerden meets Aslanbek Kozayev at welterweight and featherweight Jesse Magdaleno takes on Rafael Rivera. Anything you're particularly looking forward to there? 
Yes, Navarrete, certainly. I mean, as we've talked about already, he looks sensational against Dogbe on both occasions. And there's just something about him, I think, the way he fights, his physical uh, advantages, the fact that he's he's this tall guy who has this, for his weight, who has some tremendous leverage, who fights, you know, in an extremely sort of simultaneously uh, uh, tactically very sound and very aggressive way. And I'm really keen to see... Uh, if he can maintain that kind of performance level now that he's going to be the hunted rather than the hunter, you know, it's one thing turning that on sometimes when you're not expected to do that. Um, now people are going to be stepping up and get their game against him. And I'm very curious to see how that works out for him. Yep. All right. As noted at the top of the show, there's quite a bit of out-of-the-ring news to cover. Uh, we start with some Showtime news. Clarissa Shields, the quote and the anchor of Team Raskin, has a new date <laughs> for her fight at home in Flint, Michigan, against Ivana Habazin. Uh, it got postponed, as we talked about, due to a knee injury to Clarissa. Uh, it will now be taking place on Saturday, October 5th, on Showtime. Um, as we mentioned when it was first announced, Shields will be trying to win a title in a third division, dropping down from 168 to 160, and now 154. We'll obviously preview this in detail in September but for now any bits of information to share on Habazin or any an angle on this fight that intrigues you at all uh quick tidbit uh Habazin is on a five fight win streak but only one of those five opponents had a winning record and it was barely a winning record eight five and one she went the distance with Cecilia Brakus five years ago but lost every round that's the only name on her record you'd recognize. So this is a huge step up for Habazin. And it really means that the the angles here are Clarissa Shields solo angles, pretty much. Uh, yep. How will she sell in her hometown? How will she handle getting down to 154 pounds? And will the knee be 100%? I think those are the angles that we will be talking about more the week before the fight. All right. Um, several more fights and dates were announced this week, and the big one is the announcement from DAZN and Matchroom Boxing that Andy Ruiz, Anthony Joshua 2, is finally signed. However, according to Ruiz's trainer, Manny Robles, Andy hasn't signed anything yet. Uh, <laughs> he wants more money. You would think DAZN wouldn't announce it if it wasn't at least yeah. agreed to in principle, but I don't know. I guess we need to be wary a little longer, but... At least according to DAZN and Matchroom, the date is December 7th, and the site, after much push and pull over whether it would be in New York or England or Mexico, is Diria, Saudi Arabia. Uh, once again, <laughs> the ugh says a lot. Uh, we, we find ourselves in a, situa- in a situation where it's tough to stick to boxing without Talking a little politics, uh, you know, we were able to brush off our distaste for fights going to a country that butchered an American journalist, among other atrocities, when the fight was Amir Khan in a mismatch. You know, we made a quick comment and could otherwise kind of ignore the whole thing. But this is maybe the biggest fight of 2019 landing there. Kieran, be as political or as apolitical as you want to be. Does the site impact the degree to which you're looking forward to Ruiz Joshua 2 at all? Or is a fight just a fight and you can ignore where it's taking place if you don't actually have to attend the fight in person? It does. I mean, that can be the case that you could perhaps ignore where it's taking place if you don't have to be there. But when it's taking place in this particular country for me personally yeah it does impact the degree to which i'm looking forward to it look i'm perfectly aware in anticipation of all the whataboutism that will will doubtless be brought up uh, between now and then if this ends up happening here uh you know as, as it seems like to be announced um i'm fully aware 
our own country is increasingly abhorrent and to the extent that Amnesty International has had to put out a, um, a, a sort of danger for visitors yeah. who, who want to come to, to the U.S. I'm increasingly aware of our appalling history. Um, I've been ringside in some dubious countries, specifically Russia, but it's, it's at least possible to imagine countries like Russia and the U United States without some of the apparent elements that exist at the moment. Um, Saudi Arabia, those disgraceful elements are a feature, not a bug. Like it's mm. just, it's, it's a regime in which a hereditary dictatorship is propped up by a perversion of a religion. And that hellish partnership has all kinds of internal and external issues. Um, this is a country where the first response a few years ago to a woman being gang raped was to try the woman for being with a man who wasn't her husband. Um, it's a country whose very economic existence is based on the industry that is destroying the planet. Um, and make no mistake, this burst of sporting activity is a very deliberate attempt to try to make people forget about the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Um, the press release to announce the Amir Khan debacle mentioned Mohammed bin Salman more than it did any of the fighters. Um, this is a religious fanatic petro-state paid propaganda effort. And for all the moral compromises we all make, the instant we have anything to do with boxing, um, the willingness to participate in the normalization of this regime for the love of money, we all have a breaking point. I, this is it for me. It just This particular regime, just everything that I'm against, tick, tick, tick. So that's where I stand on that. Yeah, very, very well said. But uh, I'll note that Kieran said all of that. I didn't say any of it. Don't come after me. <laughs> but no, but honestly, uh, I, I agree with every word. Um, another fight. Let's move on. Another fight just announced. Uh, the World Boxing Super Series Bantamweight Finals between Oya Inoue and Nonita Danae will take <laughs> place on November 7th in Saitama, Japan. Um, in related news, though, it appears that the junior welterweight finals in the WBSS between Regis Progre and Josh Taylor, a fight we were very much looking forward to, uh, seems like right now it may not be happening. Uh, Progre and his promoter, Luda Bella, actually sued the tournament organizer, Swiss company Camosa AG, saying the suit, quote, is a result of a long and repeated pattern of behavior by Camosa that includes late payments, scheduling delays, bad faith representations, missed deadlines, and broken promises. Um... I'm not sure if you have much to say about Inoue at this point that we haven't already said. Obviously, we'll preview it as we get closer to the time. Um, but on a scale of one to like, dude, how bummed out are you about Progre Taylor being off? I don't know if I've ever been asked to rate anything on a scale of one to dude before. Um, I'll just quickly note that indeed nothing else to say about Inoue at this time. Uh, I'll watch with my hands over my eyes, uh, but right. I will watch. Um, but Progre Taylor, yeah, that sucks. Uh, that yeah. was It was on my very short list for fights I was most looking forward to this fall. Uh these World Boxing Super Series tournaments have been plagued by talk of financial issues from the start. They managed to patch things together time and again with duct tape and Elmer's glue and get the fighters into the ring. But this time, it seems they aren't going to be so lucky. Someone took a stand and said, put my purse in escrow or I'm not going to training camp. Um, it's a shame, but maybe this fight can still happen maybe delayed by a few months, maybe without mm -hmm. the World Boxing Super Series involved, without it being for a tournament title, uh, just a great fight between top 140 pounders. I don't see why their promoters can't consider making it happen on their own. Um, so, you know, I'm in a glass half full mood. I'm, I'm thinking Pro Grand Taylor can still get it on, but probably not this year. Okay, good for you. 
All right. Uh, three additional fights were announced this past week. Uh, one week after Shields Habazin on October 12th, uh, Oleksandr Usyk, who, like Clarissa Shields, also had to postpone due to injury, will make his heavyweight debut against Carlos Takam in Chicago. Uh, this next one hasn't been officially announced yet, but it's being reported that a rematch between Julian J. Rock Williams and Jared Hurd is set for December 14th on Fox at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. And one more uh, coming up in just about a month on September 14th. Golden Boy just announced a Mexican Independence Day weekend card headlined by Jaime Munguia versus Patrick Alati in Carson, California. So the Munguia merry-go-round spun and spun. It pointed to Canelo and Golovkin and Jesse Vargas, but it lands on a lesser fight against the Ghanaian veteran Alati. Quick thoughts on any or all of those upcoming fights? So, you know, as you sort of alluded to, that the Munguia opponent underwhelms a little bit in the end, but based on his last outing, that's probably not a bad idea for right. him. Right. Um, uh, and it also takes one name off the big speculative board um, as far as Golovkin and Canelo and others are involved, uh, are concerned. So maybe that's going to help the rest of that situation gain a degree of clarity. Uh, very excited, obviously, to finally see what Usyk can do at heavyweight. And, and Takam is a legitimate test of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really a good first uh, opponent for stepping up to heavyweight. And, of course... We do want to see Williams heard again. Um, and also, it's worth pointing out that unlike Errol Spence's two outings this year, it will be on free TV, which is how a fight like that should be. Um, yeah. And the other thing I know, you said December 14th. Is that right for a date there? Which means uh, we had better hold off on any year of end awards until at least <laughs> December 15th, <laughs> yeah. based on what happened last time. Um, all right. We move along to the more speculative portion of the news. It is once again time for our weekly segment Who in the world is Canelo Alvarez fighting? Uh, We still don't know. He still doesn't have an opponent. The latest word is that he's going to wait two more weeks for this Sergei Kovalev-Anthony Yardi fight before making any decision on what would now likely be a November or December bout. Um, Gennady Golovkin and Sergei Derevyanchenko are reportedly on course for what would now be a vacant alphabet title fight, although there's no deal in place yet. And (sighs) Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., against Daniel Jacobs is apparently a fight that's being discussed. So um, <laughs> it's anybody's guess what that weight limit would be. Possibly, oh, ah, screw it. Why even bother with the weight limit? Let's just, <laughs> let's just throw it open. Although, to be fair, Julio fought the other night and by his standards actually looked in pretty decent shape. But yep. we'll see if he can do that, you know, stay off the munchies uh, two fights in a row. Um, look into your crystal ball. Tell us exactly which of those is going to happen and when. No pressure here. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. Looking at the crystal ball. Here's what's happening. Uh, Kovalev is going to beat Yardi. Uh, even okay. if he needs a little shady refereeing or judging in Chelyabinsk, he's going to get by there. And he and Canelo will fight, I'm going to say, in November. Um, it's going to be a little easier to negotiate now that the Yardi step-aside fee doesn't need to be factored in mm. uh, to, to the price. Um I could not tell you if Golden Boy Promotions will be involved. No crystal ball is that powerful. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, as for Golovkin, Derevyanchenko, yeah, I, I think that's going to get announced. I wouldn't be surprised to, if that gets announced this week, and uh, probably for something like October 19th or 26th. Those are both open Saturdays on the boxing calendar. As for Chavez-Jacobs, nah. I don't think so. Uh, with, with Chavez Jr., uh, the safe bet is always on. Nah. Um, and and like you said, he he looked he looked in good shape. Uh, he still he was 175 and a quarter pounds for that fight this weekend. Mm. 
I don't really see Jacobs going above 168 for him, and I don't see Chavez getting down to 168. Uh, it just feels like a weird rumor kind of thing yeah. and not a realistic fight. Yeah. All right, let's wrap things up with a very quick dip into the mailbag. This question was actually sent in a few weeks ago, but we just never got around to it because we're so busy. Um, <laughs> but it is never too late to discuss a mythical matchup between all-time greats. Mark O asks, simple, Prime Floyd versus Prime Sweet Pea, what's the weight? Hashtag Ask Show Pod. Itic. What's the weight indeed? That's uh, got to answer that question first. Um, Floyd was at his best at 130. Uh, he, he's the best 130-pound fighter ever, in my opinion. Uh, but Sweet Pea never fought at 130 as a pro. He turned pro as a lightweight and won titles at lightweight, junior welter, welter, and junior middle. Floyd won titles in all those same divisions, but was really most unbeatable at 130. Uh, Whitaker's best weight was 135. But he was still totally dominant at 140. Maybe this isn't fair to Floyd, but the fight would have to be at 135, I think, to get them closest to their primes. Uh, and at 135, where Floyd got all he could handle from Jose Luis Castillo twice, I can't pick him over Whitaker. Uh, Mayweather certainly had more longevity, and, and maybe as we keep going up the scales, the welterweight Floyd was better overall than the welterweight Whitaker. Um, but... I don't know. I honestly think in their primes, Purnell was a slightly better defensive fighter and a slightly better offensive fighter. Um, I think until his recent death, he had become pretty underrated offensively. Yeah. And now we're all coming to sort of reappreciate just how good he was on offense. Um, I look at that fight and I just think there's a better chance of Whitaker stunning Mayweather with a quick shot or a quick combination than of Mayweather doing that to Whitaker and hurting him. Um, Maybe you could make the case that Purnell outboxes him narrowly and Floyd gets the decision anyway. <laughs> uh, but I'm saying since the question was prime versus prime versus prime has to be at 135 pounds, which was a slightly better weight for Whitaker than Floyd. I'll take Purnell to win close but clear in what would quite possibly be the most skillfully fought bout yep. of all time. Yep. 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 Good call. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. It's like my initial thought was, mm, this could be one of those fights that's kind of, you know, maybe good for the purist, but nothing but could be a bit of a bad matchup. But 147 Floyd against 147 Purnell would suck, I think, probably, except perhaps for the most pure of the purists. But right. at their peak, like even though we both we lord them both for their defensive prowess and justifiably so. And I think, as you, as you said there, they were both. Uh, offensively very, very good as well. I mean, you just have to watch, you know, uh, P against Floyd's Uncle Roger mm-hmm. or, or or Floyd in those early barnstorming fights. Ah, man, it would be a tough fight to call. You know what was interesting to me, and it kind of it, it speaks to a point that you just made, is that Whitaker technically was not undefeated at lightweight, but he really was. Right. Whereas Floyd was technically unbeaten <laughs> at 135, but he may not have been. Right, yeah. Um, and you wonder how much that would have ultimately played into it. So I, I say they split a trilogy, one, one, and one. Typical. <laughs> Me just really, wow. just really sticking his neck out there. Wow, you've really got the fence rammed right up your crotch on this oh, one. You yeah. are straddling right it hard. Yeah. It, is, it is comfortable sitting. Comfortable <laughs> sitting. All right, that will do it. We will be back next week with actual fights to preview as we will have Kovalev versus Yadi among a slew of August 24th fights. And there's a Showbox triple header on August 23rd that we will begin to. Until then, thanks very much for listening.